wouldn't that really have been a good time, the perfect time to pull me aside and say, uh, hey, I've got some information. I mean, we're going through this diagnostic process, you know, and that kind of information would have been important, you know, but she never did. And I feel angry about that. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an Ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 87. Today I am speaking with Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Lily. It's so nice to talk to you. It's really nice to talk to you as well. How did you find this podcast by chance? Um, I actually found it by listening um, to some some of the stories that are on the uh, DNA Facebook support group. And uh, somewhere along the line, they mentioned you. And then I started listening. I thought, I want to share my story. I'm so glad you found that. I'm glad people are mentioning it. There's so many great resources, wonderful podcasts out there. I listen to the other NPE podcasts as well. And I go on the DNA Facebook groups for NPEs, but there are rules often where you can't self-promote or share podcasts. So I mm-hmm. I never promote it, right? Like I never tell anyone yeah there's a podcast yeah. and it's, I'm like, is anyone finding this? <laughs> I'm glad you found well, I'll it. I'll share it. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. You can share links okay. to the podcast. <laughs> I just can't. Okay, Miss Marilyn, we're going to hear your story today. So let's start at the, let's start at the beginning and okay. let me know about your original family. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me share uh, my story. And I just, you know, I really appreciate your your podcast. And, and I do think, you know, hearing other people's stories um, is, is, a, is healing. And, um, you know, as I was getting closer to planning what I was going to say, I was listening to more and more stories. And I thought, well, I'm going to share my uh, great wisdom. And make some suggestions to people listening that are, you know, new or just found out. But the more I thought about it, by the time someone has found your podcast, you know, uh, or even found a DNA support group, things have already happened or, you know, they wish they could uh, do a redo or re-say things. And, uh, you know, they've already probably made mistakes that they wish they could take back. Um, when this first happened to me, I looked, but I really couldn't find like uh, like a playbook on uh, what to do, what to do next, what to do first. I, I don't really think the general public, you know, thinks too much about this, like the possibility of finding out, oh, yeah, your dad or your mom, you know, they're not your parent. I don't think it's really like out there. Um, now, I grew up in the 60s, and I know that there were things going on, like secret things going on in the world behind closed doors, you know, like cheating husbands and wives and abuse. And, you know, I'd hear whispers about such things, but I, I hadn't, I wasn't really, um, it wasn't really openly talked about, not like today, you know, where things are more open. So hopefully someday NPEs will have a a bigger platform and people or families, um, will have heard this. So by the time, you know, somebody pops up in their life, uh, they won't maybe react so negatively that some of them do. So um, anyway, when I first talked to you, it was like six months ago. Yeah. And I was really a little disappointed that our podcast was so far out, mm-hmm. but it really has worked so much better because I have gathered so much information since we first talked about my story and it's so much more complete. So, so here's my story. Um, so I'm 65 
And I live in North Carolina with my husband and my three daughters and my mother-in-law. And about um, a year and a half ago, November 2019, um, I learned that my the dad on my birth certificate was not my dad. Now, both my parents have passed away, and I found that my biological father has also passed away. And in fact, most everybody who would know anything about my past is gone. So um, I was raised in California, and I was born in Santa Monica. And for people who might not know that, Santa Monica is a beach community in the Los Angeles area. My parents were, uh, they were older. My mom was 37 and my dad was 42. Um, and in fact, really, they had an entire married life before I, I ever came along. Um, they had been married 16 years before I was born. And they had uh, grew up in the Depression and they had moved from the Midwest. Uh, my mom, she was barely 19 when she moved to California with my dad and his two sisters. So that was 1937. And um, then they got married. And I think, you know, for the most part, they must have felt like they were living the American dream. They had rented a, a, a house in Venice Beach and they stayed married all of their life. They remained married for um, over 50 years. And then at some point, uh, like well, World War II, my dad joined the Army Air Corps and he happened to be lucky enough to stay in the States. And my mom followed him from base to base, I think just to stay close to him. And then when he got out, he became a carpenter and he was really successful. Uh, he would work and build houses like in Beverly Hills or Bel Air, you know, the Hollywood area. You know, they were actually doing quite well. Um, so recently I found out that they even own their own home in Santa Monica and learned what a wonderful, uh, like super wife and homemaker my mom was. When uh, each of my parents died, I had to, or I didn't have to, but I prepared a slideshow for their funeral and I was going through the pictures and you could see that they were a couple, you know, and they had a good life together. They did things like hunting and there was lots of parties and you could see there was family around and there was my dad's sisters and now they had kids. And I, I think they, it, you could tell they were having a really, a really great time. But as I grew up, they didn't talk too much about that part of their lives. I would just get little tidbits, you know, and, but after looking at those old pictures, I also realized that after I was born, their marriage totally changed. They didn't seem like it, they were the same loving couple. They didn't, they didn't seem to do things together anymore. Now, my mom, she just loved to share my birth story. And I know it so well because I heard it over and over again when I was growing up. Um, of course, I've learned since that the, that story she told um, was just made up and, and uh, fake. But this is, this is the story she would say. She said, um, that they had been married for 15 years and that my mom wanted a baby really bad. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed. And I was the answer uh, to her prayers, but they had trouble getting pregnant. So she said, they went to the doctor and they told my, the doctor said to my dad, now what you do is you build a slant board. Now a slant board is a wooden board. I think it's about 12 inches wide and you would place one end on the floor and the other end raised up somehow. And then you would have sex with my mother's head down. They would have sex and then they would wait. And well, voila, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know, gosh. as far as I know, I've the never pregnancy. Heard that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, everybody bought it. <laughs> so as far as I know, it was a normal pregnancy, except it ended up that she had toxema, toxemia and she had to uh, have a C-section. Of course, way back then in 1955, uh, the mothers, you know, you went to sleep totally out. And um, so she said that when she woke up, they said, oh, guess what? You have a baby girl. And then she went on to say, that she was so excited that she'd be wheeling down the hallways of the hospital. And she was like, I had a baby girl. I had a baby girl. She was telling everybody, I had a baby girl. So anyway, uh, you know, she seemed really happy about that. 
But just recently, I, you know, I'm doing all this discovery and I found out that she really had severe postpartum depression after that. I mean, she actually got um, catatonic. Uh, she couldn't function. She couldn't take care of me. She couldn't take care of my dad. And she ended up being hospitalized because of it. And back then, I think kind of like the go-to treatment was electric shock therapy. And so she had that, you know, and I've tried to do some research on that. I, I think somehow it affected her personality um, because growing up, she seemed kind of um, really emotionally unhinged to me. But, you know, it wasn't just my, my mom. It was also my dad. I, uh, there's a couple of pictures of me when I was a baby. You know, and to think of it, there isn't a whole lot of pictures of me when I was a baby. But there's one picture in particular that he's holding me. So, and it looks like a stranger has handed him this strange child or I'm an alien child or something. I mean, he just doesn't look like that, you know, like you would expect him to, like that excited dad. But whatever was going on, I don't know. When I was six months old, which seems so young to me, we left everything and moved 100 miles south to North San Diego County. And, and that's where I grew up. So um, when we got down there, dad built a house and it was 20 acres surrounded by 100 acres. I mean, it was really beautiful, big rolling hills, you know, these fabulous views. But it was um, it was really isolating. There was the nearest house was just miles away. But when I was really young, after we moved there, I can remember lots of really big gatherings, uh, you know, weekend parties, I would wake up and there'd be like a motorhome parked behind the house and there'd be men, they'd go hunting and there was family visits and my aunts and cousins, and even my godparents. I mean, I really remember this time as, as really fun. I don't know what happened. I don't know why that changed. But at some point, people uh, stopped coming. Now, I'm going to say, you know, my mom did the best she could as a parent. But um, she was a better parent before I was born. Um, and she was kind of a step parent to one of my cousins. And so I got that information from her. But with me, she seemed to have no idea what good parenting was. Now, her mom had died when she was 14 and her dad had died when when she was 10 or 11. And they were extremely poor. And she just hated her dad. You know, when he was in the house, all 10 kids had to sit behind the wood stove on a wood bench and they couldn't say a word. And she would talk about that and and she would curse him all the way up into her up into her 90s. Now, after her mom died, she was moved around from relative to relative. And when uh, and, you know, they weren't really happy to or glad uh, to take on that responsibility. You know, I think they were pretty hard on her. I think her her life pretty much sucked. Um, so she so she did her best as my mom. And as I remember really young. I was really attached to her. I was like this total mama's girl and I couldn't leave her side. And she treated me like a princess, but more like a trophy or like a doll. I really felt like I was up on a pedestal. You know, that, that may sound really great, but it, it really screwed me later because I learned no social skills and she fought all my battles for me. You know, she was always on my side and in her eyes, I could do no wrong. You know, um, I, I never had to deal with conflict. So particularly, so school was really hard, you know, particularly in middle school. Uh, I had no skills to deal with other kids my age and I had very few playmates. So, you know, it was, it was pretty hard going through school. But my dad, on the other hand, he was much different than my mom. He was soft-spoken. You know, he liked to tell stories. He liked to tell jokes. He liked to tell dirty jokes. Of course, you know, they kicked me out of the room and I'd always try to hear. But um, I got the impression that, you know, he mostly enjoyed uh, the time with his buddies, that he would rather hang out with the guys. Uh, you know, definitely not my mom or me. But, you know, I do remember good times with him. Um, one day when I was pretty little, he took me across the field to a pond 
and we were gonna uh, catch some tadpoles, you know, and take them home and, and put them in a bowl or something and watch them grow into frogs. Well, as we are walking, uh, there was these large patches of sagebrush. Now sage grows in a round patch about, you know, three feet across, about six inches tall. And I'm hanging on his arm and I'm swinging and he's swinging me forward as he stepped and I'm jumping into the, the soft sage patches. All of a sudden, I'm like being propelled through the air over the patch and I land and I turn around and I see my dad and he pulls out his gun and he kills this massive rattlesnake. So, you know, that's one of those memories that you don't forget. I also remember, you know, our house was quite a ways from the main road and my dad would let me sit on his lap and steer the truck all the way up to the house. You know, I just remember us laughing and it was just so much fun. You know, now my dad, he wasn't a hugger and he didn't say, you know, he loved me, but I never for a moment thought that, you know, he wasn't my biological dad. I never felt unloved by him. So in my eyes, my dad was the nice one and my mom was the mean one. You know, I never doubted my dad, you know, but I often doubted my mother. Uh, she was the one, you know, she'd take me to church and dance class and Girl Scouts. But then on the other side of that, you know, she was the decider. She always yelled. You know, she was the punisher. You know, she did the hitting. She did the spanking. Uh, even as a child, though, I can remember like some weird things that happened that didn't make sense. They make more sense now, but they didn't then. And, you know, as I find out more of my history, I have to wonder if my biological father wasn't in communication with them or at least my mom. Uh, so when I was really little, each Christmas, I would get like this fancy over the top Christmas cards from a Dr. Small. And these cards, they would have silver dollars taped in them. And uh, they were like really fancy cards, particularly for the time. So they would have these springs and you would open it up and the reindeer would pop up, you know, and I always, always looked forward to Dr. Small's cards. Okay. So Dr. Small was my mom's OB. You know, he delivered me. I was not his patient. These cards were not addressed to my mom, his patient, but they're always, you know, specifically addressed to me. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And actually today I uh, talked a little bit with my, my new biological cousin and she remembers getting uh, the silver dollars that, that rang a bell with her. So, you know, I really think that that could have been my biological dad, you know, still kind of being in my life. So, um, you know, I've heard that he's a, you know, he was a really caring guy. He was fairly wealthy and he was a connected guy in the LA Hollywood area. So, you know, I don't know. There was another weird thing. Well, I was, I don't know how old I was. I was older. Um, but, uh, let's see, I was probably, oh, I don't know, eight, nine, maybe. But anyway, one day, uh, she and I drove to L.A. So I was, a, you know, a couple hours drive and we met with a talent agent uh, and he took a lot of headshots of me and he asked me to read some stuff. And, uh, you know, he asked things like a do sing or dance or ride a horse, that kind of thing. And he left the room. And I remember asking my mom, I said, you know, like, how do we know this guy? I mean, who set this up? Why am I here? And I remember it was just the strangest response. She says, oh, a friend. I mean, even as a child, I thought that was weird. You know, and of course, nothing ever came of my TV, you know, Hollywood star career life. But <laughs> anyway, um, so like I said, their life before me, um, they didn't really talk much about it. It was always pretty vague. But, you know, now I've learned that during their first 16 years of marriage, my mother, like I said, was a super wife, you know, perfect housekeeping, perfectly decorated, spotless house. She was like the family party planner. Everybody did the holidays at her house. You know, she even actually ironed my dad's work pants. And, uh, and of course, she knew how to dress too. She had, you know, she had, I, I see pictures. She had hats and gloves. I mean, she could really look good. 
And even when we moved down to San Diego County, I can still remember her cleaning every Sunday morning. Um, you know, but that all changed when I was, I think about eight or nine. Um, her best friend, her best girlfriend was killed in a car accident, you know, and after that, she completely changed. I mean, it was like this, I don't know, this mental flip. Um, there was no cleaning. She barely did the dishes. She became a hoarder. Um, you know, as I got older, it was, it was hard for me to make friends. And the friends I did make, um, I was just, I, I couldn't invite them over. I was just too embarrassed, you know, so I felt pretty lonely, you know, and by the time, uh, by that time, all the relatives that used to come down, we'd really just lost contact. And uh, so my teenage years were pretty hard. I fought a lot with her. You know, I really had no respect for her. I, I just kind of thought that she was unstable and uneducated. Um, so back when I was uh, five, six, seven, I'm not really sure. I had what my counselor now calls a childhood trauma. And it only lasted for like a nine month period, you know, but as it's turned, as it turned out, uh, this is something that has affected me throughout my adult life. Ha! Ooh, gotta take a breath. <clears throat> so anyway, this is the story here. <clears throat> so there was this little girl, her name was Anne Marie Garibaldi, and I'm going to say her name on purpose because, you know, who knows? Somebody listening to this just might know. I know her. I've tried to locate her, but, you know, women, they change their name. And, you know, it's and there's a, there's just a ton of Anne Marie Garibaldi's out there. So I haven't really had any luck. But anyway, Anne came to live with us and she was introduced as my new sister. You know, we who was going to live with us forever. You know, so the story that I learned then was that, or I was told, was that her dad was sick. I mean, he was like terminally sick and he was dying and that he was, you know, looking uh, for a new family for her to be with. And somehow the mother, I don't know, she was out of the picture, but we were going to be her new family. So, you know, but several years ago, I actually heard a different story from my uh, that my godmother and my mom had kind of kidnapped her from this bad living situation. So, you know, I, I don't know what the truth is. You know, I, I no longer believe any of the stories that I was told in my childhood after all of all, finding out all of this. Anyway, at first it was good. You know, uh, Anne was about a year older than me. And I can remember my mom dressing us up in really pretty dresses with that tooling. And that tooling is just awful. It just scratches you. I remember that so clearly. And pin curls, who would spend hours, you know, she'd pin curl her hair and dry it. So we'd have all this curly hair. And, um, you know, she was my sister. Uh, we had we had fun. And uh, but this is also the first time that I really remember my mom being violent. Um, my mom had taken, uh, some of my dad's saw horses and he, she had taken, uh, sheets and made a tent. And so we're out there playing, you know, some kind of a little pretend kitchen or something. And somehow, Anne she swiped her fingernail across my nose and it, it created a skin flap. And of course I'm crying and my mom comes running out and she was just so angry and she was yelling at Anne and she slapped her, you know, and then he, she punished her, you know, and I just, I just remember feeling so, so bad. So anyway, her father would come and visit once a month. I mean, he, apparently he'd gotten better or he wasn't dying. I mean, he never looked ill to me, but as you can imagine, after their little visits, Anne would be sad and she'd get depressed and then she'd act out and then there were punishments and then it would get better and then he would visit. It was just this vicious, this cycle. So I was told that my parents wrote him a letter and said, you have to stop coming because this isn't good for Anne. And he wrote back and said, just one last time, just, I want to come and I want to say goodbye. Just one last time. <sighs> so. Mm -hmm. I can remember this day so clearly. It was 
just a beautiful day, bright and clear. And I usually waited in the yard, and but I could see through the screen door and I could see the sofa and I could see Anne and her dad talking on the sofa and I could see my mom in there too. And I looked around and parked in the driveway was this big dark green or purple car. You know, and that was, and, and, and this time, there was a woman in the passenger side and that was odd. That wasn't that he had never brought a woman before, you know, and I, I really remember her cause she had like a beehive hairdo. So I'm waiting and, and the lady's waiting and I see my mom go to the back of the house. I don't know. Maybe she had to go get something or maybe to give him some privacy. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Anne's father swooped her up. And he's running out the door with her to the car. And I can hear that engine revving and the car quickly backing out. And it's going down the driveway. And my mother comes running out and she's screaming. And she, she has to go find her car keys. And she puts me in the car and we're chasing them. Of course, by that time, they're way long down the road. And we ended up going to the police station and they didn't have any, they, they didn't have any papers. There was no legal documents for this, her living with us. And so that was it. No goodbyes. I never saw her again. So I cried and cried, you know, oh, I want a sister. Oh, please. I want a sister. Please give me a sister, you know, for a really long time. And that event left this like gaping hole in my life. And it unfortunately got opened up again when I contacted my half-brother and half-sister. So I think my parents compensated. They tried to compensate. So I'm using air quotes here. So Santa brought me a horse for Christmas, you know, and life went on. So it was me and my horse and the animals. and They were my friends. They were my playmates because we were so rural. There wasn't anybody else around. You know, and I, I was just always so sad and so lonely, you know, and as I got older, no matter what I did, you know, I always felt this underlying loneliness. So around 1979, my parents moved to Northern California and eventually I moved north to the San Francisco Bay Area and I married and I had a daughter, Kim and my son, Matthew. And uh, but, you know, things happened. And we divorced uh, around 10 years. But during that time, my son um, at four years old was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. Now, muscular dystrophy is uh, a genetic disorder, you know, that gets carried down through the parents. Uh, and as I have gone through this as an MP through the MPE process, I, I've thought, wasn't there ever a good time for my mom to tell me about my biological father? Wouldn't that really have been a good time, the perfect time to pull me aside and say, uh, hey, I've got some information. I mean, we're going through this diagnostic process, you know, and that kind of information would have been important, you know, but she never did. And I feel angry about that. But, you know, as it does, life went on. So in 1996, I was 41 years old and single. And I didn't want to be, but I became a cougar. And I met a young man that's 10 years my junior. And we married, and we've been married 23 years. And I have three girls, uh, Emily, who is 12, and I have twins, Haley and Hannah, that are 10. Now, uh, Craig is my husband. You know, he is such a great guy. He took on so much, you know, my severely disabled son. I mean, Matt, as the as the disease progressed, really became a quadriplegic, you know, and he took on that. And then later, you know, my mom and dad moved in. It, it's been a lot, you know, but now um, we're at a good place and we're raising our girls in North Carolina. We're doing well. I have a big house, 10 acres. It's all good. You know, but back in 2003, we're still in California and my parents were in their nineties and they had to move in because of my dad's health. And, and, so living in the house was me, my husband, my disabled son, and then my mom and dad. And my mom, she did not want to, she did not want to move. Uh, she didn't want to 
she didn't want to be there. I mean, it was between our house and uh, uh, assisted living, and she didn't want to do that. She was just so unhappy, so angry. You know, she had a really hard time adjusting, you know, and she was just upset a lot. But over the years, I had felt like something or some abuse had happened to my mom. And I started notice, noticing when we were watching news stories or like a movie where a man would hurt a woman or a woman was raped, you know, in the news, something like that, her reaction would be like totally over the top. At least I thought so. She'd say things like, they ought to take him out and shoot him. You know, but usually it was more violent and it was about genitals. You know, they ought to cut off his pecker with a butcher knife. And then one particular time, she said, they should repeatedly slam his old dick in the sliding glass door. I mean, it got so bad, I had to take her aside. I said, you've got to stop this. It's making Craig and Matthew cringe. You know, I wouldn't let them talk about mutilating women. You know, she eventually, she eventually stopped. But, you know, it, it made me, it made me uh, wonder you know, was she attacked and why was she so angry with men? You know, over the past year, you know, I just wonder what happened to her that made her feel that way. So living all together was challenging. And she and I were like totally different personalities. She really wanted, she needed, she needed to be the center of attention at all time, whether good or bad. Uh, And I'm not like that at all. So Personality wise, we're different. Physically, we're different. She was like five foot nothing, and I'm 5'10 Amazon woman, you know. And I got so frustrated and I got so angry that I became convinced that I must be adopted. You know, so back then, there was no ancestry DNA kits. You know, you could get them, but you had to go to the drugstore and, and, uh, you know, swab your mouth and mail it in and wait for the results. So I, I have to say I tricked her. I, I told her that a doctor had requested it and she went along with it. So we get the results back and it turned out that she was 98% for sure my mom, you know, and so that made me even more frustrated at, at how she acted. It never, ever dawned on me to check if I, to, to check my dad, to check my dad's DNA you know, if I had, you know, they would have been both alive, but this whole thing would have unfolded so differently. But I really think even if I'd had, you know, the test in hand, that they would have denied it and just said, nope, didn't happen. So a couple of years later, my dad passed away in 2005. And my mom continued to live with us. Now, Craig, my husband, He always said that our 10, you know, when we were married 10 years that he wanted to do a recommitment ceremony. So in lieu of that, in 2008, we chose to start a family. So at 53, I delivered my daughter, Emily. And then at almost 55, I delivered our twins, Haley and Hannah. This was a, you know, this time period, it was really a happy time for us. But, you know, then a couple of years later, uh, New Year's Eve, 2012, my son Matthew passed away from the muscular dystrophy. And then six months later, my mom passed away. So, you know, frankly, I'd really had enough sadness in California. And uh, Craig, he was able to take early retirement. So we ended up moving, oh, 3,000 miles away to North Carolina. Uh, you know, it was a good move for us. And and we were doing well. And our anniversary came came up. In 2016, we were talking about what to get each other. And, you know, so we figured out for fun, we would uh, get a DNA test and, you know, and see where we came from. You know, so we chose a National Geographic test. I don't even know if they, they still have tests, but that's the one we got. And I always would tease Craig. I, I always teased him that he was uh, part Neanderthal. And, oh, well, yes, it turned out he was 2%. And then I was biking. So, you know, and we had a good laugh. It, it was fun. So then in the spring of 2019, uh, I got the genealogy bug. And so I started wondering about my daughters. You know, we had we had used an egg donor because I was an older mother. We had used an egg donor and the donor was from Australia. So we thought, oh, that would be great. You know, and then, you know, growing up, I knew most of my dad's family. Um, but on my mom's side, it was a mystery, you know, so I was thinking, uh, you know, because all of her siblings had been split up 
after her parents had died. So it was like this long lost family. So this time I got an ancestry DNA kit, you know, and I'm still kind of unfamiliar with the, the matching numbers, you know, and how that all worked. But there was a one cousin's name that I recognized on my mom's side, you know, it tied back to my grandmother and there was a bunch of third and fourth cousins, but it was kind of weird. There was the names of these of three men that were in my first, second cousin position. I had no, no clue who they were at all, but I messaged them through ancestry, but you know, I got no replies. So I, I just kind of let go. And then strangely, there was no family on my dad's side. But I just made it all fit. I told myself, well, those three guys, they're, you know, those men, they're three, they're long lost cousin on my mom's side, you know, and as far as my dad's side, you know, that's not unusual. You know, uh, some people aren't interested or maybe they didn't have the funds, you know, and then I just kind of put the ancestry stuff away and I, I didn't really check it anymore. Then six months later, in November 2019, I got an email through ancestry from this gal named Adrian. And she says, you know, I just did my e my uh, DNA and I think we're related. I was like so excited, you know, so we texted briefly back and forth, you know, and then we decided to talk on the phone. So, of course, apparently I'm a know-it-all and I had it all figured out. And so I looked at the numbers and we matched in the high 800s. And, you know, she must be a cousin on my mom's side. I mean, I was sure of it, it had to be. So she is just the, the sweetest lady. And so we started out, I started out and I come out with all the details. I said, well, my mother was Bertha and she grew up in Kansas and my grandmother was Nancy and so on and so forth. And, you know, she listened. And finally she said, um, I don't think that's how we're related. Uh, what? No, that's the only way it can be. Right. She said, you know, my mother has passed away, but she had a brother, Herbert. And I think he's your biological father. I'm like, uh, no, mm -mm, no way. So she also informed me that oh, I had a half brother and a half sister. And it turned out that the three male DNA matches from six months ago, they were my siblings' children. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was like shocked. I, I just couldn't believe it for days. I, I tried to make the information fit together in some other fashion, you know, an uncle of this and blah, blah, blah. I just, no matter what I did, it, it, it had to be true that my dad was not my dad. So my biological cousin, Adrian, she shared all that she knew about my bio dad, Herb. She sent pictures, you know, and for the first time, it was just so fabulous to, to see people who actually looked like me. I mean, I never really felt like I didn't look like my family, but these people I really looked like. Uh, and particularly my bio dad was related. He looked a lot like, or my son who passed away looked a lot like him. So I learned also that in 1955, my biological dad owned a prosperous manufacturing company in Santa Monica. And, you know, that's where my parents lived. And I also learned that this was Adrian's favorite uncle. But even so, I thought my first thought was mom was raped. I mean, that was that was it. I, that was the first thing I thought. Of. She had to be right. You know, she, Adrian had described uh, him as very charming, you know, handsome, a kind man, you know, and she thought that he probably would have found my mom very attractive, but certainly not a rapist or a man that would ever force himself on my mother or any woman. But we still couldn't figure it out how they, you know, might have known each other. And the idea that my mother being unfaithful, the, all the way she talked to me as I was growing up about premarital sex and, you know, the sins of being loose, uh, it was just unthinkable. You know, this, this godly woman stepping outside the marriage, I just could not, I, I couldn't come to terms to it with it. You know, so looking back over the last of the next few months was kind of strange. My reaction was strange. I first called everybody I knew and I said, guess what? Guess what? You know, my dad's not my dad. I remember, uh, I don't know, something was wrong with me, but I remember even like a uh, repairman coming out. I get to talking to him and I'd share. Guess what? I found out my dad's not my dad. I mean, that's kind of weird. I even asked my cousins, you know, did you know anything ever? 
You know, now lots of people said, well, your dad is your dad and he loved you. You know, well, I mean, I guess that was true, but it didn't make me feel any better. And then another cousin, she said, oh, yeah, my brother and I, we always wonder how you fit into the family because you sure don't look like the rest of us. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that just really made me feel even more disconnected. So then I searched the Internet, you know, for any stories, any help, you know, of how how to deal with this or to uh, find, you know, finally, I found the DNA Facebook support group, you know, and just reading other people's stories. I came to the conclusion that meeting your biological family is kind of like the lottery. You know, sometimes you are a big winner, you know, and you get that loving family and it's just wonderful and they embrace you. Or on the other side, it doesn't work out so well. You know, they may even deny that you even exist. Now, my counselor, she says that, you know, the bio, the biological family is also surprised. You know, they're also shocked and they too, they need time to come to terms. You know, I think she's right. I mean, at least in my case. That's how it's how it's working out. So, you know, when I was doing my outline right here is where I was going to stick in my big tip for those that were beginning in the process. But, you know, now I realize that people listening to this, you know, they are already down the line in this process and they've already probably made contact with their family and have done and said things to people that they wish they could change uh, or take back. Uh, and before I contacted my siblings, I had not thought through things. And I, I, I have my regrets about that. So my uh, new bio cousin, Adrian, she acted kind of as the gold go between. She had told me that my siblings are very private people. And uh, so she shared some information about them uh, or she shared the, she shared my, that I existed with them. And then she also told me about them. And as it turns out, we grew up and lived in very, very different worlds. Now, I didn't grow up poor, but, uh, you know, we had to be frugal. But on the other side, I believe my siblings grew up uh, more comfortable, perhaps less financially restrained. My brother, uh, he lives a, a modest life. He's lived a modest life. And when I contacted him, uh, the, the last time I, I, I had contact with him and we Text, texted back and forth. The last time I did text him, he wished me a good life. So I kind of took that or I take that to mean that, you know, he's not interested in a relationship. Now, my sister, on the other hand, she's a lot more comfortable. She's very financially stable. And I believe she knows many famous people. And let's just say we just do not run in the same circles at all. So finally, we get on the phone and, you know, it went so, so. But in hindsight, I should have been more together with my positive thoughts uh, because I think as we talked, the call got a little bit too comfortable. And uh, what I said wrong was I wondered out loud that uh, if her father could possibly have forced himself on my mother. Yeah. And of course, she said, no way. But, you know, I really think that I should have maybe saved that for later or not said that at all. So we texted you know, a few more times over the next couple of months. But in the end, she decided that she, first of all, was not going to tell her adult children about me, although I thought they were on Ancestry, so wouldn't they know? But I guess their accounts are no longer, I don't know. But she also decided she could not have a relationship with me with me because it disrespected her her father's memory. You know, now I wrote and I texted, oh, I'm a big girl and, you know, that'll be fine. And I'll be fine. And how sad that we won't have a relationship and blah, blah, blah. But in truth, I was crushed because it took me straight back to that loss in my childhood, my childhood sister, Anne, you know, and finding out that I had living siblings was like the greatest thing ever through this process. But it's one of my biggest hurts. And so that was. That was back in uh, February 2020. But then my investigation um, work took me in a whole new direction and a direction that would uh, lead me to finding answers. So after the siblings kind of turned down my, my relationship, uh, I still wanted to know, you know, other people and, and who might know how I got here, people on my mother's side. 
So, you know, it was really, I was just left really sorting through old photographs and trying to think of, of anyone who would know, might know anything. And one person, one person that I connected with over the years, you know, kind of spotty, but we connected was my cousin, Dana. Now, her mother was my dad's sister who in 1937 initially had made the move with my mom and dad from Missouri to California. And we always knew Dana was adopted. And so she was my adopted daughter of my Aunt Alice. And we had visit them when I was young up in Los Angeles. But uh, at some point, Aunt Alice got sick and she, she and Dana moved back to Missouri. And unfortunately, she passed. And I lost contact. Uh, but then in 1990, made contact again at my uncle's funeral. And that was kind of funny because here's all my cousins. Well, they weren't really my cousins, but my cousins on my dad's side. And uh, we ended up kind of all sitting around in my, my deceased uncle's house and chatting. And we had this whole kind of powwow thing going on. And I remember this feeling of, by uh, God, this is what it feels like to have family around. And it was just euphoric. It was just wonderful. So uh, anyway, uh, so we lost contact again. And uh, in, uh, so around night, we lost contact in 1998. And so I, I knew that about 10 years later, I knew that she lived in like the Los Angeles area. So I looked on the internet and I feel I found a few phone numbers and I called. I, I had no luck. So this really weird, strange thing. I woke up last summer uh, and I woke up and I decided I needed to look for her again. <clears throat> so um, I think I felt the need. I, I was feeling this real strong need to make any family connection. So we had moved from California to North Carolina. And the last I knew, she lived in the Los Angeles area. Uh, so using you know Facebook and Ancestry and some background sites, I found her, but not where I expected uh, to my surprise, she was no longer living in California, but actually, you know, she lived 10 minutes away from me in North Carolina, 10 minutes away. You know, so I wasn't going to try to call her or nothing. So I jumped in the car and I drove to her house. I drove up the driveway and I parked in front of her open garage. And this little older cousin Dana came out and I said, are you Dana? And she said, yes. I said, well, I'm your cousin, Marilyn. I'm sure the neighbors heard all the screaming. I mean, it was just a wonderful reunion. And it's just so wonderful that we are a family. And I, I have a really close and we, we talk all the time and our families get together. I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's really great. So she hadn't heard any, she had no clue that my dad wasn't my dad, but I continued my search. You know, I used uh, for my mom's family. I used Ancestry and, you know, like I said, the internet, smart background check, truth finder. I paid for that. And I kept following the crumbs and I, I did, I was actually had some luck. I found some cousins, you know, and I learned kind of more of the story of my mom's childhood. And it turned out that it was, it was really, it was pretty awful. So my cousin, Dana, she noticed that I was, you know, having success in finding all these people. And uh, she knew she, she'd always known that she was adopted. And she didn't, she hadn't felt like she really wanted to find siblings or parents or anything. And she kind of felt that her dad had probably passed away. So, but she decided, you know, after seeing what was happening with me, she decided to share the information that she had. And she, um, she had her biological parents' names on her birth certificate. So, you know, I, I wanted to help and I like a challenge. Well, over the next 24 hours, I had learned that her mom had passed and I'd found a bunch of her siblings. But the most surprising and shocking was I actually located and I called her biological father. And, um, I said, um, you know, are you such and such? And I'm looking for this and, you know, would have had known this woman and so on and so forth. And uh, he's like, yes, yes. And uh, I said, and, and then they would have had a baby and, you know, her name is Dana. And he goes, guilty. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I found him. And I have to say that um, I had to pull myself together. It was, it was, I think I had this emotional reaction, like I'd found my dad, my bio dad and, and what it would be like. I mean, I think the child in me was really hoping for that. Anyway, they've gotten together and they have a relationship. I'm just so happy, so happy for her.
So my dad had two sisters, though. And um, so my other aunt was the two sisters that came with them from Missouri when they moved. And uh, my Aunt Mary had uh, two older daughters. And I'd actually located one of them early on on Ancestry. And I'd emailed her, but I hadn't got a response. And it looked like she hadn't been on Ancestry in over a year. So, you know, some people, they don't re-up their subscriptions. So actually, it was just a few months ago in April. Um, I got an email from her and eventually I made contact with my cousin, Anita. So Anita is just this wonderful woman. Uh, She's in her seventies, but she's just bright and articulate. And I I just love talking to her. But anyway, she remembered it all because she was there. She was a teenager, a young teenager. Now, my mom and dad had kind of taken care of her before I was born. And she has these just wonderful, wonderful memories of them. And she remembers them as a happy couple, not necessarily like lovey-dovey, but, you know, there, there wasn't, it seemed like they were having a good marriage. My mom had hoped to, be, to become pregnant, but it wasn't like this obsession to come, become pregnant. Uh, anyway, my Adrian, uh, sorry, cousin Anita, Anita she uh, just remembers my mom so fondly. You know, actually, the woman she remembers is a stranger to me. You know, the, the woman she knew was meticulous. I mean, she had the perfect house. You know, she ironed my dad's pants. You know, it could entertain, could dress to the tea. To me, my mother was always loud and she always needed to be the center of attention, you know, good or bad. It didn't matter just so she was getting that attention. My mom was always angry or unhappy and, and she was a hoarder. You know, something had happened to her, both my parents really, when I was born. So Anita, she confirmed that um, she confirmed that they had a good life. But Anita answered the biggest question ever. How did my biological dad and my mom know each other? So, of course, as you can imagine, I basically interrogated Anita. And I said, now there was this name that keeps coming up in my childhood memories, uh, Gaylord. And I think that's kind of like an odd name or a unique name. And I had learned that um, my dad, my bio dad's company, that was the name of it. And so I asked her, I said, um, does uh, Gaylord mean anything to you? And just with quickly, quietly, without any hesitation, she said, oh, yes, your mother worked there. I remember it because she gave me a set of plastic dishes that I totally cherished and it had that stamp on it. So there it was. There was the connection. My biological father was my mother's boss. Hmm. So... Now, Anita had spent many days and hours with my mother, and she had had like a wonderful time. She didn't remember my mother ever being violent or the crazy woman that I knew. You know, she she remembered, though, that the women the, of the family unit, the aunts and such were really gossipy. And so many times she heard them talking about, gee, you know, they've been married for 16 years with no pregnancy. And then all of a sudden. so. You know, there were still all these these questions, you know, for me to answer. Why was my mom so depressed after I was after I was born? I mean, it was supposed to be this super happy time. You know, was it a love affair that didn't work out? You know, did my dad know? Was it those family busybodies that drove them to move away? Had my bio dad helped somehow? And what about those Christmas cards? You know, from my mom's OB. You know, I I guess. I guess that, you know, I'll never know these answers. But anyway, I contacted my half sister. I texted her. Uh, and I have to say, it's kind of bad of me, but it was kind of like a neener, neener. Uh, I know how they met. My mother worked for him. You know, it's, it, it's not totally clear to me how my existence tarnishes my biological dad's memory. But my sister has come up with her own truth. So she still chooses to believe that in 1955, 
You know, you don't, there's no, you don't talk about sex in 1955. That my mother approached her boss and said, hey, you know, my husband and I have been married for a long time. We can't have a baby. You know, guy, could you come up and uh, like give us, be our sperm, do- our sperm donor? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think that's likely to me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So recently I've just like had this light bulb moment and I decided that I will absolutely never know how, how I got here. So I've decided to create my own positive feel good story that I can tell myself and whoever. Mm-hmm. So here's my story. My mother worked at a small company close with her boss. You know, he was handsome and charming. Now her marriage wasn't on the rocks, but my dad was not yet demonstrative with his affection and Herb's marriage, you know, was maybe having a few inch. Uh, issues. And, you know, he was a little unhappy. And so they are working closely, you know, and how people, when you work close, you develop relationships. You know, he said nice things to her and it felt good. And, you know, they are both attractive people and they were attracted to each other. And then sometime around Valentine's Day, 1955, they simply couldn't resist, you know, and they made mad, passionate love. It was the best sex ever, you know, and maybe their relationship continued for a while. I don't know. You know, unfortunately, it didn't work out. And they both decided to stay with their spouses. And my dad, my dad was a great guy because he took care of me, even though I wasn't his. And so there it is. That's it. You know, coming to terms has coming to this has helped me feel better. I even I even texted my half sister again. And I said, um, you know, it may be really hard to believe that our parents could be anything but perfect, faithful spouses. But, you know, uh, somehow they got together and I was born. And I, I even shared my concocted story. And to my surprise, she wrote back and she wished me peace. She said, I hope this gives you peace. And then she said, perhaps we will meet in person someday. And as this process, you know, it's ever evolving, you know, and I've learned so much this year, but just yesterday she texted me and she agreed to actually meet in person in the next few months. So you never know, you know, you you just don't know. So my story has not ended and someday I might actually get to meet and know my sister and brother, you know, now looking back, I asked, you know, what have I gotten out of this? Well, you know, I found new family members on my mother's side. I reconnected with lost family. You know, I have knowledge about my true history. I have these family photos that I can relate to. And I've gotten really, really close to my cousin, Dana, and my new biological cousin, Adrian. You know, in fact, she came to visit. Now I live, like I said, I live in North Carolina and she lives in New York. And so she came and visited for a couple of days and we met in person and it was just, it was wonderful. We just had such a fan, fab, fabulous time. But when she left, it dawned on me that the last time I had been around a blood relative other than my mother was 50 years ago. And it's just crazy for me to think about. So my advice to others that are going through this process is have patience. You know, new information can be discovered. You know, give your new relations time, you know, and it's it's not you. Love yourself and make the family and the people around you your family. Oh, Marilyn, I really enjoyed <laughs> your story, your experiences, and I, I love the the wisdom, the bit of wisdom you added to it as well. I know a lot of people will get so much out of listening to your story today. I certainly did. And Miss Marilyn, if if people want to reach out to you and know more about you, could they do that? Yes, that would be that would be great. Okay, so the email is uh, strunkhouse at gmail.com. And that is S is in Sam, T R U N. K-H-O-U-S-E at gmail.com. Wonderful. I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed this. Just getting this Mm. off my chest, I think, is uh, healing. 
So thank you so much. Oh, you're 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 so welcome. I I love to provide a space, and I like to hear the whole story. You know, and it, sometimes when we write it out and share it in our support groups, it's you can't get all the details. So I really I like to hear everything. So thank you so much. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Come heal with us.